Well, that's good to see. I, we're uh, been, Becky and I were just uh, barely. Uh, well, we're almost finished with our uh, with our Christmas shopping, and we do most of our shopping online. Who? How many people do that? Do most of you do shopping online? Yeah, it looks like a lot. How many of you don't ever do that? You just go to the store, and that. Uh, yeah. How many of you don't shop at all? You don't shop at all. Okay, there's a. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys are the smart ones, aren't you? Well. Uh, I want to talk to you today about uh, about Christmas. We're going to talk, of course, next week is Christmas Sunday, and we'll be meeting for one hour of you know uh, Sunday morning uh, worship hour, ten o'clock. We won't have any uh, Hope Connection classes next week. But I want to talk to you today about the the manger and this idea of giving and sacrifice. And I hope that time we're done, that um, the Lord will just remind you as you work as you live through this week and approaching Christmas just how much giving and sacrifice are a part of Christmas and how much God calls us to a lifestyle of giving and sacrifice if we're going to be his children. You know, Isaiah, I have a few um, scriptures here for us to read just kind of just to lay a foundation for our thoughts today. And the first one is a a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6. And uh, there was over like 333 prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming of the Messiah. And this is one of them right here. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wonderful titles for the Messiah. Interesting. We might talk about this next week about Jesus being the t- having the title of the Everlasting Father, which just implies that he's the provider and protector of his people. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Gal- in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be his... It, was being married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses uh, 4 and 5, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Or another way to say that, that we might become the children of God. Father, as we look at your word today, we pray that it will make sense to us and pray that it will, Lord, be so practical that it will remind us every day this week of uh, how you are a giver and how you sacrifice and how you call us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that, uh, like I've been just mentioning to you, that you haven't been too stressed this um, 
this Christmas season. Now, sometimes it gets to be like this, doesn't it? Just kind of feel like you're pulling your hair out. Um, I guess not for Larry, because he doesn't worry about Christmas. He doesn't do any shopping. So, Larry, you don't, you're not, and that's why Larry has lots of hair. Yeah, because he doesn't pull it out. But uh, the event of Christmas, though, is meant to be about Jesus, isn't it? And it's supposed to be refreshing, a refreshing blessing to us. And there's just a lot of add-ons that really aren't necessarily wrong, but they, they can add stress to our life. And again, they, they aren't wrong things that we do. It's just they kind of add busyness to us, you know, and they're fun. All the decorating, the various parties, you know, all the family gatherings, those are great times. The baking, uh, I think the baking's fun because <laughs> uh, I don't do it. <laughs> I, I enjoy the fruit of the baking. I appreciate Becky baking. The hosting, the gift preparations, you know, and uh, I love it. I love when the, when the kids come. I love when the grandkids come. I love the pillow fights. I love, you know, uh, wrestling with the kids and, and uh, you know, making sure that I always beat them at things, you know, because uh, and uh, I love doing that. I do, and um, it's just uh, it's just a wonderful, amazing, and a wonderful, definite blessing. But to adults, sometimes it can become uh, easily become uh, kind of a dreaded event. I know people like that. Oh man, Christmas is coming uh, because of all the work because of all the expense, because of all the energy that's going to be required. It's, it's tough sometimes that, that it, uh, some of the demands that are placed upon us. And I think sometimes even in our day, it's bigger because of the affluence of our culture. Our culture, even though we're in a recession, people still have money and they're, they're, still, they're still doing things. They still do lots of things. But getting your Christmas shopping done, that's another pressure point, isn't it? Um, we were chatting... Uh, <clears throat> to an Amish friend a while back and whose mother is the same age as Becky. And I think at that time we had, uh, we had four grandkids. And, um, but she, again, the same age as Becky, she had 86 grandkids. Wow. I thought to myself, we, I think we even mentioned that. We said, that is a quite, quite a Christmas gift list. <laughs> Wow, can you imagine that? Having 86 grandkids. I mean, my, my grandma had, had nine children and she, the most she had was 35 grandkids. And that was always fun getting a present from grandma because uh, uh, you were just one of the herd, but it was great. Um, but um, another stress point, not only with all the Christmas gift buying, uh, stress point is the, is the countdown clock. You know, you get this, sometimes you get this countdown clock that says, you know, only, only 10 more days until Christmas. And they, you know, tick, tick, tick. And they reminding you how precious time is to you. And don't waste it. You need to get things accomplished before it's too late to get those presents bought. You know, stress again. <laughs> stress again. It's easy to lose the reason for the season, isn't it? It's easy to do it. Easy to forget about Jesus. You know, we all have various friends, but there is one companion I want to remind you about today that we all share alike, that goes with us everywhere we go. There's one companion that goes everywhere we go. This companion eats with us. This companion works with us. This companion sleeps with us, never leaves our side. It, it, goes, it goes by the name of time. Oh, the wrong one. It goes by the name of time. There, yeah. The first one was a spice. You got that, didn't you? Yeah. I don't see. I'm in. I'm in the kitchen sometimes, and I hear. I see what Becky's doing with stuff, and so, so I'm not a total jerk when it comes to baking, but I, I just, I just don't like doing it. Uh, but uh, time is uh, is our companion. Stop and think about that. 
He becomes our companion at the moment of conception in our mother's womb, at the moment of our existence, uh, and never leaves our side until we breathe our last and we exit and cast off this earthly body to go and face God in that place of timeless eternity. Timeless eternity. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's one of those serious thoughts that we need to think about. It's a sobering thought. Sometimes it might even be a hard thought. But it's a unique experience for any living thing in this physical world that God created. Because think, think about it. We, we grow from a single cell. Scientists still have not figured this out. I was doing some research on this. And scientists have not figured out how cells divide. How, how you know, we, we, we start out as one single cell and become somewhere like, I can't remember, is it 73 trillion cells? It, it's an amazing number of cells. By the time we're, 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 we get a full-grown body. Um, but that's a lot of division. <laughs> and uh, scientists haven't figured it out yet. But we start out as a single cell, and uh, then to an infant, then to, you know, to a, a newborn baby, to a toddler, to a youth, to a young adult, to a middle-aged adult, then a senior adult, then an elderly adult, then a feeble adult. And all the while, time is having its way with us. All the, all the while. Time is having its way with, with us, uh, building us up and then aging us and breaking us down, our bodies and our minds. And God, our Creator, never ha had any experience with time, although He created it. That time, that time when He said, in the beginning, you know, God created, and that was when time started. You know, God created time, and yet he had no experience with it, as far as personal experience with it. And then there was Christmas. Then there was Christmas. He planned to subject himself to time's demands. That's what God did. He planned to subject himself to time's demands and to its power. God, through his Son, was going to experience time growing from a single cell to an embryo to a fetus to a newborn placed in a manger to an infant to a toddler to a youth into adulthood. God was going to experience it all. In Galatians chapter 4, again we read this already, but Galatians chapter 4 Paul said, but when the set time, and that word is chronos in the Greek, and it means that when that time, when the time on God's calendar fully came, and when, not just that, it wasn't just the calendar time, but the word implies this. It means that the conditions were right in the world, that the situation was right in the world. At just the right time, God came into the world. Bethlehem was not an accident. God had planned it, you know, for centuries. Well, actually, before the world was even begun, the Bible tells us. But at just the right time, everything was perfect for Jesus to come into the world. Isn't that amazing? That's what, that's what Paul says here, that when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. <clears throat> Again, God has this, uh, this redemptive calendar, which is pretty amazing. Um, this, when, the, when the world is 
was perfectly prepared for God's work. Uh, work. Um, another word to put it, at God's appointed time, Jesus came. You know, think about it, all the grand events, all the grand events of God's plan for the redemption of mankind were scheduled in advance. Nothing surprised God. God wasn't procrastinating. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, all, all of a sudden he forgot, like, oh, I got I to gotta put this on. I don't, don't, want, don't forget to do, do that. Now, everything was scheduled in advance from the very beginning. Even actually the final judgment is scheduled. The Bible tells us there's a day that God has appointed when that will happen. There's a day that God has appointed when Jesus Christ will return a second time. He's been on schedule so far, hasn't he? It's going to happen. I know we, we, we're in our scientific world and our technological world. We think there is, there's no way an invisible God is going to appear in the sky and is going to end, come and get his people and, and, and judge the wicked and going to end the world. <laughs> well, the, he, he told us what, over 300 times that he was coming the first time. Yeah. He's going to come the second time, just as he promised he would. He's going to come again. Amen? Amen. Well, God lowered himself. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7, God emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. God, uh, he subjected himself, loved ones. Think about this. He subjected himself uh, to the constraints, to the stresses, to the aging, to the demands of time. Just as God gives each of us as individuals life to enjoy and to use for his glory and to give an account for he also gives us our own time to use for his glory in a manner that pleases him and the scriptures reveal to us that God has ordained our days that he's given us time he's he's when we were born he designated the number of days we were going to live it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Here's some scriptures that back that up for us. Psalm 39, verses, verse 4 says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let, let, let me know how fleeting my life is. <laughs> Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Job 14, 14, 5, A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. And Psalm 139, here. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then Jesus reminds us in Luke 12, 25 that who, are you, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Yeah. God has ordained our days. Yeah, he knows. He's given us He's, he's given us time, uh, a certain amount of time for us to, to live. A Christian brother recently reminded me that, um, that the end time experts uh, characterize the last days as perilous times. The Bible calls these perilous times because of the ever increasingly evil character of mankind. And people will actively oppose the truth. Boy, that's going on today, isn't it? People actively oppose the truth. I mean, it's, it's, it's strong. Writing to me, he said this. He said, there is not a lot of time left in your life. <laughs> mine or for people around you. So we need to stop thinking there is. That's a sobering thought to me. Now is the urgent time to take action with God. Hmm. Let me read that again. He said, there is not a lot of time left in your life, mine or for people around you. 
So we need to stop thinking there is. Now is the urgent time to take action with God. That's really important, serious thought for us. When Jesus, when he entered time, that moment in Nazareth, and he, he didn't enter time in Bethlehem, he entered time way back in Nazareth when Mary conceived. And uh, Jesus came into existence there within Mary, that is. He was already in existence. He was in pre-existence. He was, this, he was God the Son. But <clears throat> when, when he entered time, it was in Nazareth there uh, within, within Mary. And when Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to conceive from the Holy Spirit and have a son who would be called Son of the Most High, and the child that would be born right on time to fulfill this part of God's redemptive plan, Jesus eventually understood that he was subject to the time the Father had given him. Boy, that's so, so cri- crucial and critical for us to understand. Because when we understand how Jesus thought about time, that's a good lesson for us to understand. That's a good lesson for us to take to heart for our own time. Jesus, he understood that the Father had given him a certain amount of time to, uh, to, to live. And Jesus had a a sense of control urgency um, to use time, listen to this, to accomplish God's will in his life. That's a really sobering thought for me. That Jesus, he had this sense of control urgency, not frantic. Jesus was never in a hurry to do anything, but not not a franticness, but, but a controlled urgency Again, to, um, to use time to accomplish God's will in his life. We, one place we see this is in John chapter 9, where Jesus and his disciples happened upon a man who had been born blind. The man didn't, the Bible doesn't tell us how old he was, but his parents later on say that he was of age, and so he had to be at least 20 years old because in Jewish culture, when you turn 20, that's when you became an adult. So he had to be at least 20. The disciples, when they saw this guy blind, he was born blind from, from he was blind from birth. Um, when, they, when they saw him blind, they didn't think about him so much, but they thought about a theological question. And so they asked Jesus, they said, so, is this man blind because he sinned? Which I don't know how that could be, because he was just a little baby, right? I mean, how that could be, but that's the question they ask. Because he sinned, or was it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus just kind of didn't get sidetracked with that, um, because Jesus said, um, neither. Remember? Jesus said, neither have sinned. No. Uh, This hardship, listen to this. He said, this hardship... um, was allowed in his life, listen to this, to allow the works of God to, de- to be displayed in his life. Isn't that a revelation about the unique interest God has in our lives? Think about that. Just, this wasn't due to sin. This was God's plan. God is using this man to display his works in his life. This man, God was using to develop his blindness. When he, his blindness was allowed to develop a relationship with this man. Amazing. This suffering had a purpose. Jesus said, this suffering had a purpose. It was to enable and to enhance a relationship between God and this blind man. 
Wow. That speaks volumes to us. Many, many times, loved ones, our, our personal questions to God regarding our suffering well, will never be answered because we're asking the wrong question. Sometimes people say, why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this? Why did God do that? You're, you're asking the wrong question. Because God has a purpose through suffering. He's got a purpose that ultimately He is working us or trying to lead us toward. And the suffering is just a small little a tool, a tool that is going to accomplish God's ultimate purpose for us. When, when Job was suffering, and you know what Job did? He was suffering. He lost his kids. He lost his wealth. And he had even lost his health. And if you read through the book of Job, you'll find that Job is defending himself all the time before God. In a way, he's saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I don't understand. I'm, I haven't sinned. I know I'm not a sinner. I know I did not sin. And this is not why this trouble has come to me. But why are you doing this? And he kept, he kept questioning God and, and kind of defending himself and just saying, God, I'm, um, you know, you need to explain yourself. Why you're allowing this to happen to me? And that's what a good portion of the book of Job is about. <clears throat> Job was asking God the wrong question. That's the story of Job right there. Job was asking God the wrong question. And he didn't find out that he was asking the wrong question until finally God had brought him to the end of the trial and he appeared to him in a whirlwind. And he said, Job... Stand up and prepare yourself as a man. You better buck up here because I'm getting ready to ask you some tough questions. And he starts to say, where were you, Job, when I created the earth? Where were you? And he goes through all these many wonderful creatures that they, he brings out characteristics about them. He said, did you design that, Job? Did you do this? Did you do that? And Job finally just says, Lord, I repent in dust. I spoke out of turn because I realize now that the answer my suffering is you. It's you. That's what Job was saying. It's you, God. My suffering has drawn me closer to you and, and has drawn you closer to me. That's the purpose of it. It's about our relationship, God. All the questions I have evaporate just by having you in my life. I can't remember who it was, if it was Spurgeon or Moody, but they, one of them said, when we see God, or maybe it was C.S. Lewis, said, when we see God, we won't ask him any questions at all. We'll think of all of our trials, all of our hardships, and just say, of course, <laughs> I understand. Because it's about our relationship, God. Because you value my relationship with me so deeply that at the right time, God revealed himself to Job and told him that it's about me having a relationship with you. God, knowing God is the answer to all hardship, loved ones. 
when we find, uh, we find our all in all in Him, God wants us to get to that ultimate place that we see there is nothing in all creation that can match or take the place of knowing Him and Him knowing us. David said in Psalm chapter 16, he said that God was his inheritance. Not heaven, not anything, not any of the riches of heaven, but he said, my, the cup of my inheritance is knowing God. That is my inheritance. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 that those of us who love, Jesus, or love God through Jesus, we are God's inheritance. That really all this is about is that, that in the end, nothing matters. No material thing matters. Nothing, no riches in this world matter. What really matters eternally is our relationship with God and His with us. That's really what He's after. That's what's the most precious thing. That's the most valuable thing to God is our relationship with Him. Back to the blind man. Instead of focusing on the blind man as a theological problem, Jesus saw him as an opportunity. Said that God's using this man to work the works of God so that you can see the works of God. God's using this man. He, he, wants, to, he wants to know this man, this man to know him so that his, he might, his, his power might flow through him to display his power to, to the world. And then Jesus said this, very interesting thing here. He said... Listen, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me because night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And loved ones, that means this, that we must all realize that God provides us opportunities to step up and show someone his love. To show someone his love through encouragement, through giving, and even through sacrifice. Let's talk about that as we close. Christmas time reminds us that God gave us his son. And Jesus had this sense of urgency that I only have so much time I must get the Father's will accomplished because there comes a time when, when the opportunity's passed. And that's what Jesus was talking about, that the night's coming and there won't be any opportunity anymore. It's the same for us. We need to understand the urgency of time in our own life. That God brings seasons of seasons of moments when he wants us to accomplish things for him when he wants us to love somebody when he wants us to to show kindness to somebody when he wants us to give encouragement to somebody or give wisdom to somebody and it may just it may be a brief thing or it may be an extended thing but christmas time reminds us that god gave us his son that he thrust him into time to seek and save those in the world who are lost and to bring them to eternal life to fulfill God's plan again for their lives. So Jesus reminds you and me this morning that, that God has a work for each of us to do while we still have the opportunity, we still have the time. God always has spiritual work for his children to do. Christmas reminds us of that. God always has work always has work for us to do. Christmas reminds us, first of all, that God is a, that he's a um, giver. God is a giver for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. No, God's not stingy. He's not a hoarder. He gives of his love freely to us. And Jesus reminds us that that God allowed the, the rain and the sunshine to fall on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And he calls to us to be givers, loved ones, as his children as well. 
He gives us time to use for his glory. And just as Jesus was a giver and God is a giver, he calls us to be a giver also. It's his nature. It's God's nature to give, to give good things. Yeah, you know, we give financially, you know. That's a good thing to do. We give financially to needs, to the ministry of the church, the ministry, you know, people who, who need some sort of support. You know, we, we, we give that. But there's many other ways, too, that God calls us to give. To be a giver like the Lord, we have to listen to me. We have to get our eyes off ourselves. It is so easy to be negative all the time. Be critical. I tell you, it's so easy to be that way. I've never found the Holy Spirit to work much in my life when I get when you get caught in that kind of a spiral, that kind of a cycle. Always being negative. Always 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 wanting your way about the way things should be done. You know? Instead of thinking about, Lord, how can I give? You know, who cares if they didn't do it this this way? You know, you might say, who cares if they didn't do it the right way, my way? <laughs> you know, forget that noise. Think the way Jesus thought about things, you know. What can I do to accomplish the Father's will? To be a giver today, to help someone, to display the works of God, possibly to them. Hmm. How can I? I tell you, it's, it happens in so many ways. There's sometimes people are so discouraged. They're so, they're weak emotionally. And they're, they're just been beaten down so badly by life. And then he's someone who loves the Lord who will come alongside and put their arm around him and say, you know what? There's hope here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to, I'm here to, to be what, to, to help you in any way that you might need. It might, it might be, a, you know, some money out of the pocket. Or it just might be some encouraging words. It might just be, who, who knows, it, it, it might be um, uh, some sort of a uh, support in, in some way, a, a giving of strength to, to hold them up. You give your time, you give your energy, you give of your resources, you give of your support. And you know what? You don't offer criticism. That would be the easiest thing to do. You think, well, you know, you wrecked your life. You wrecked your life, you know. Too bad you messed that up. What good does that do? The blind man. <laughs> you know? Goodness. Um, Jesus could have said something like that to him. But that doesn't help at all. You know? You don't offer criticism, but you offer encouragement instead. You don't, you know, you offer patience, not frustration. Sure, people are going to keep making similar mistakes and, and you've got to go back and encourage again. You've got to be there again and again and again and again because you're a giver. You know, this, in this way, you're offering the love of God to those in need. But you say, that's hard, Pastor. You bet it's hard. It's what being a Christian is all about. You know, I tell you, when, when, when God gave to Mary the task of carrying that child, and then to her and Joseph, the task of rearing the child. You know what? That was not an easy task. I mean, they were looked down upon. Um, they were, they, you know, you think, what a great blessing for Mary. Well, yeah, God's, God's a giver. But also, it was going to call, it was going to require sacrifice on Mary's part and Joseph's part. They had neighbors that looked down on them because, because of, the, of the, how Jesus came about. You know, they, 
they sacrifice their reputation. They sacrifice the, you know, the, the, the turmoil of being looked down upon. They were called to travel to Egypt, you know, and back again to face the sneers of the neighbors for years. And that is the thought I want to leave you with, my friends, that as we make our way through Christmas this week, Jesus showed us that glorifying God always means giving and sacrifice. A lot of times when you give, you've, you've sacrificed something pleasurable for yourself. Giving and sacrifice, it always does. That's, that was his life. We are called in the same way to honor and glorify him in the same way. We are called to give of ourselves and to sacrifice in whatever way is necessary for a person to receive the love of God as God makes opportunities available to us. And when he does, and he will, you must act while it is still day, while you still have the opportunity. I want to challenge you with that, with that thought. If you think you're going to make it to heaven, let me challenge you with this. If you think you're going to make it to heaven by sitting on your laurels and doing nothing, I want to challenge you. You're mistaken. You're mistaken, my friends. That God has opportunities that he has. We just open our eyes and see opportunities that people, that people come to us for help or, or situations arise where we can help. We can step in and be the Lord's representatives in this situation to someone who's in darkness or someone who is so discouraged. You know, if we think that just being a Christian is just kind of a walking by and uh, that we're okay, let me tell you, we're not representing Jesus correctly. He was a giver and he sacrificed. That's, that was the nature of, of, that's the nature of our God. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, uh, um, if you think you're going to make it to heaven without re repeated giving, without repeated sacrifice for the glory of God, well, you better think again because all of God's sheep, Matthew 25, all of God's sheep, there's two features they have in common with the great shepherd. And that is that they are givers and they sacrifice. Read it, Matthew 25. What did, this, what did the sheep do for the, for, the, for the shepherd? What did the goats do for the shepherd? <laughs> yeah. So it's an important thing to think about. Serious. And we are so surrendered to God that, Lord, use me to give. And I know that will require sacrifice at times. The manger reminds us of giving and sacrifice. The cross reminds us of giving and sacrifice. The tomb reminds us of giving and sacrifice. So how about you? How about me? Lord, as we leave today, we are challenged by your word. And Lord, you have a way of challenging us that is always kind and so oftentimes gentle and uh, so oftentimes just a, a, just a an uncomfortable nudge that we need to listen, that we need to obey. We need to seriously consider what you're saying to us. Lord, Christmas is uh, such a hectic time for most people. They lose the whole message of what Christmas is all about. I pray that we as your people will not, and we'll realize that it's all about you giving and you sacrificing your son. And Jesus showed us that too, giving and sacrificing. Pray that we, this Christmas season, Lord, will also learn the significance of becoming a, a giver 
and to allow that to be a, just deeper and deeper part of our life and to be willing to make sacrifices that your love might be shown to people who are in such great desperate need around us. Lord, we don't think they're there at times, but you bring them to us. You do bring them to us. We pray that we won't miss the opportunity because the time is short for us. Help us to use our time wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And thank you so much for your kind attention. Lord bless you and give someone a good Christmas encouragement before you leave today.